Coming up, we have more positive news about hydroxychloroquine. Don't tell the mainstream media. They would rather let people die than admit that Trump was actually right. A city in Ohio has declared itself a sanctuary city for statues that have been toppled. All right, what have we told you? The explosions in Iran at the Iranian nuclear facilities were carried out by the Israelis. All right, it didn't take a Mensa member to figure that one out. But now there are multiple news reports saying that the two explosions at the Iranian nuclear facilities within the last week or so were carried out by the Israelis. No surprise, as though there were any doubt. According to Reuters, the Iranians themselves have confirmed that the fire in Natanz, that's one of those nuclear facilities, was a cyber attack. That This is the place where they enrich uranium, and apparently the Israelis hacked into the computers and got the place to blow, got the computers to blow the place up themselves. So, and, and, and they also are saying that the fire caused extensive damage and may have hampered and slowed the development of advanced centrifuges, which enrich uranium, which, of course, that was the whole objective there by the Israelis. So the Israelis now may have seriously crippled the Iranian nuclear program in terms of their ability to make these centrifuges, which can enrich uranium to a very high degree of purity. Now, the good news is this is not going to harm Iran's national security. If you're worried that the Iranians won't be able to defend themselves, remember this nuclear plant, the Iranians uh, insist that it's only used for peaceful purposes. The Natanz is only there for nuclear power, nuclear energy. They're not, they don't want to build a nuclear bomb or anything. Why would we think that? So there's nothing to worry about. How Can you believe Obama allowed a legal, this, this Obama nuclear deal allowed the Iranians to keep intact these centrifuges which enrich uranium? It's written into the deal. Could anything be more egregious than that? They allowed them to keep this place intact. What kind of a more, could you imagine a more bogus nuclear deal when the, Isra- when the Iranians are still allowed to have nuclear centrifuges in operation. Now, Tanz, by the way, is the same facility that the Israelis sabotaged with the Stuxnet virus back in 2010. You know, can you imagine how frustrated if the, these Iranian nuclear scientists, they work on all these facilities, they do all this work to advance their nuclear weapons program, and then just as they're close, the Israelis will just pull the rug out from under them. It happens all the time. And according to an Arab newspaper, the massive explosion at the underground complex, this is according to Al Jazeera, that the, the Parchin, the other explosion at the Parchin military complex, which was, I mean, massive. I mean, it sent like things like literally flying up into the sky in Tehran. That was the result of, a, of an airstrike by Israeli F-35 bombers. Yeah, the the aircraft, this is always a risky mission going into Iranian territory because it's a long trip from Israel. And if they have to stop to refuel, then that could be very, very dangerous. But they were able, apparently, to go go there and back and carry out this bombing without refueling. Now, a caller made the point. We've been telling you the timing is fascinating because the Bolton book was just released. And in, in that book, John Bolton claims that President Trump actually gave the green light to Netanyahu, allowing him to take out Iranian nuclear facilities, and now you have these two mystery explosions which are now being attributed to the Israelis, of course. So is there a connection there? A caller said maybe the Bolton book actually caused the Israelis to do this because, remember, the Israelis, they'll usually sit when there's like a red line, when when they realize that things have gotten too far and, and, and the Iranians are on the brink, or any country, really, uh, uh, that's an enemy of Israel, then the, Iran- the Israelis will then 
carry out these types of attacks. But now the timing, it could be that the Israelis were worried that the Iranians would hear, look, John Bolton, I don't believe a lot of, that was, of what's in his book, but certainly the believable things you have to be concerned about. So the Israelis may be worried that the Iranians are going to discover this information and then they're going to be on a high alert watching out for an Israeli attack. So the Israelis decided to strike quickly. Who knows? But that's just another example of how dangerous. Look, a judge said that Bolton's book could jeopardize U.S. national security. A judge said that. All right, so the new study on hydroxychloroquine uh, and the media report on this on this new study, this study shows very positive, extremely positive results, as we'll explain here with hydroxychloroquine for COVID-19. But the media calls this a controversial drug. That's a quote from this uh, report and in, in some affiliate of USA Today, the mainstream media. It's a the controversial drug, hydroxychloroquine. What could possibly be controversial about this drug? This drug has been around for over 60 years being used to treat malaria, lupus, and other diseases. What could, it, it's like the least controversial drug on the planet, a drug that's been tried and tested for over 60 years, and the FDA has never taken away its approval. It's been approved. It's, it's, it's used. It's used regularly. Contra, well, it's controversial because it could cause heart arrhythmia. You know how many drugs there are out there that could cause serious side effects that the media doesn't call them controversial? The media calls this one controversial because President Trump actually took it and actually touted it and believes that it's a good thing. But, like, there's nothing controversial about a drug that's been around for over six decades that has happens to have one side effect. I mean, and, and by the way, that side effect is very rare, and it seems mostly only when you give high doses. Don't rely on that information, but that's pretty much what, you know, what the most reports say. Anyway, the study was done in Michigan, and hydroxychloroquine helped significantly lower the death rate of COVID-19 patients. By the way, remdesivir, which we'll talk about in a moment, that's the other big drug that the media is all into, and, 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 uh, the media celebrates that drug because, of course, they never heard President Trump discuss it. And remdesivir, that actually has not been shown to reduce the death rate. What that does is that shows that actually speeds up recovery time. But that's that's a very different statistic. So the study analyzed over 2,500 patients. Listen to these stats. 13% of the patients treated with hydroxychloroquine died of COVID-19. These were hospitalized patients, by the way, while 26% of the patients didn't, who did not receive hydroxychloroquine died. So it literally cut the death rate in half. Again, over 2,500 patients, uh, of, of those who were given hydroxychloroquine, 13% died. Of those who were not given hydroxychloroquine, 26% died. And patients did not suffer heart-related side effects from the drug, and it seems because they gave it in controlled doses, low, you know, relatively low doses, low enough to not have a high risk of cardiac issues. And they also co carefully monitored people for cardiac issues. Now, why does this have different results than the other studies where we've seen that there was no benefit from uh, hydroxychloroquine? Or in one case, they actually possibly showed that it was damaging. Well, for one thing, one of the studies, the biggest study, was actually a fake. It was a fake study. It was based on fake data. And I believe that was the one that uh, they, they, they showed that there was some kind of negative effect. And it turns out that the data, as far as anybody could tell, was made up. Um, and, and remember, it was rescinded from whatever journal it was published in, which did not do their homework. Other studies about hydroxychloroquine were not peer-reviewed. This study was peer-reviewed. Another major difference, they were given the drug in this study early. In this study, almost all the patients were given hydroxychloroquine either within 24 hours or 48 hours of when they first entered the hospital. We told you these other studies that they've done, they, they weren't real studies. They weren't clinical studies. They were just meta-analysis where they'd go back and look at information that was already done from before, but it wasn't a controlled study. 
study, and they didn't have a lot of details. For example, how many days were they in the hospital before they were given hydroxychloroquine? How severe was their illness? You know, many, many other very relevant factors. Now, this, there are overwhelming, remember, there are overwhelming reports uh, from patients and from Dr. Zelenko that hydroxychloroquine anecdotally is, is amazing in terms of preventing. Now, that's in terms of, of what they call a prophylaxis, which is preventive, which is when they gave hydroxychloroquine, people who haven't even entered the hospital yet. A lot of positive reports. President Trump took it for two weeks, of course. So, and this, those studies, we haven't even seen many results. This is this study now that we're telling you about, that was actually done on people in hospitals. So very, very positive. A lot of people say that this is just an amazing, amazing miracle drug for dealing with COVID-19. Now, there was a video uh, recorded a few days ago, Dr. Zelenko speaking about hydroxychloroquine. It was recorded last week, and uh, it's been removed from YouTube. It was on YouTube, and YouTube removed it because they say it violated the rules. No explanation given from what I could find why it violated the rules to discuss this wonder drug. I mean, even if there there are differences of opinion about it, you know, they, they, they still it's still very, 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 to me, legitimate, more than legitimate, for a doctor who, who, gave, who gave this drug to hundreds of patients to be discussing it on a YouTube video. But, of course, YouTube decided to yank it. You know, they've censored yet another an, another person associated with President Trump, Dr. Zelenko. Meanwhile, the WHO has halted a study on hydroxychloroquine two days after the announcement of this amazing study re- result. They're saying that their study shows that uh, there was no benefit to hydroxychloroquine. Go figure that one out. The WHO is also studying studying remdesivir, which as we told you about before, which I have no problem. I have no problem with remdesivir. But remdesivir, it's been shown to reduce recovery time in hospitals, but it has not been shown, at least not yet, to reduce the death rate, although hopefully it will. But I believe that a lot of this is political. The media is always touting remdesivir. Remdesivir, you do not hear a lot of details about the benefits of remdesivir. Again, other than there was that one study where it, it seemed to... Uh, it, it, to, to, to speed up the recovery time of patients in hospitals. But I do suspect part of it's political because remdesivir is not doubted by President Trump. I can't prove that. But also remember remdesivir, a lot of money is being pumped into it by pharmaceutical companies because they would have a patent on it because it's a new drug. So they stand to profit. See, hydroxychloroquine could save a lot of lives. Nobody profits off of it because it's been around for so long. So nobody has the patent on it so they can uh, create, manufacture it uh, ge- um, generically. All right, I do want to mention, we cannot forget, you know, this coronavirus, it is such a horrific, horrific tragedy. And, you know, when, of course, when we're in the thick of it, then that's at the top of our minds. But as time goes on, Baruch Hashem, it's a good thing that in many, many from communities, this is not an issue right now. Does that mean it can never come back? Uh, hopefully, we, we don't know. We don't know what it means. Doctors themselves don't know. Hopefully, even if it comes back, Hasfashalim won't be as bad as it was. And uh, many, many doctors seem to believe that that's the case. But uh, that doesn't change the fact in Eretz Yisrael right now. Of course, there's a major increase happening, at least in cases. Um, you know, hopefully, the, the, it won't lead to terrible, terrible outcomes and results. And many, many parts of the, of the United States where th- it's just going strong and there's a surge. And there isn't just a surge. I always say the surge in confirmed cases, that's a very weak number. I don't pay attention to that number because that could be caused by many factors and especially could be caused by more testing. But they're saying that there's an increase of rate of testing positive. In other words, uh, a few weeks ago in certain places, they were testing one out of every 10 of people who got tested, tested positive. And now they're saying one out of every four, certain areas, parts of Texas, 
Florida, Arizona, similar numbers like that. And of course, the number of hospitalizations has gone up. The number of deaths has gone up, not nearly as much as we saw in New York and New Jersey and other places, but hospitalizations, you can't explain that because of increased testing. And we've told you about this at length. There are a lot of factors about this, but I just want to point out there have been nearly 130,000 deaths as a result of coronavirus in the United States. And that number continues to rise pretty steadily. It's slowing down, but it's still rising. And as I said, Baruch Hashem, our area has been doing great, and that's wonderful. But this, if you just look at the big picture, it's the worst tragedy globally in my lifetime for sure, and it's far from over. Think about this. A few months ago, the thought of 130,000 deaths in the United States of COVID-19 or any pandemic was unthinkable, and now they're saying, and look, it keeps going. They're saying it could get to 200,000, 250,000. That was a horrific scenario, but the problem is we tend to get used to things like this, and we cannot allow that to happen. We've got to reflect on this. We cannot allow, our, allow ourselves to get numb, and yes, from a Hashkafa standpoint, and th- this is a story for a different day. This is not for right now, but we have to all make personal changes. We have to grow. We have to recognize that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is sending all of us a message, and this is not over yet. Now, from a political standpoint, to, to just transition to that, you know, some people feel that politically this is going to really hurt President Trump, and I and we can't discount that either, and here's why, because they're going to play, President Trump has done a lot with, with COVID-19. As I always say, it's the government, the government response to anything, especially a pandemic. It's never, there's always going to be mess ups. There are always going to be things you can criticize. There's always going to be what they call Monday morning quarterbacking, where you look back and question, well, why did they do this? Why did they not do this? They locked down too early. They locked down too much. They locked down too little. You can never get it totally right. But they're going to play these uh, clips of President Trump downplaying it. President Trump, I believe part of it is just his optimism that he always is like kind of looking at the positive and looking at the recovery and looking at uh, the numbers, which have been getting better for the most part until recently. And he keeps saying, well, look, you know, soon this is going to be gone. Soon it's going to be over and it's going to go away. And some of the comments make it sound as though he's just like dismissing it. And I'm not saying that that's the case. But what I'm saying is, believe me, the Democrats and Biden, they're going to like turn this, try to spin this as like oh, President Trump. He kept telling us it would go away, it would go away. And then it turned out there were 200,000 de- 200, deaths or possibly more, hopefully less. But uh, even 130,000, that's, that, that's how they are going to spin this. While Trump sat there reassuring us, look at how many people were getting sick and dying. And that could be very, very devastating. And look, Trump, you know, Trump is what he does and what he says. And those are two very, very different things. And like I said, I believe a lot of it just comes from his own optimism. And it's actually coming from a very good place. But something we need to keep in mind. Meanwhile, the mayor of Miami-Dade County in Florida says that the protests had a lot to do with the surge of cases of coronavirus in Miami. Now, gee, isn't that a surprise? This is Miami-Dade Mayor Carlos Jimenez said, quote, I think obviously the protests had a lot to do with it. He's talking about the surge. We had thousands of young people together outside, a lot of them not wearing masks. When you do that and you're talking and you're chanting, that really spreads the virus, end quote. Uh, um, uh, An expert on the Middle East, this is an American expert, a college professor on the Middle East, he says Israeli annexation of Judea and Samaria, of Yehuda and Shamron, of parts of the West Bank, he said that would put an end to the belief that the West Bank needs to be ethnically cleansed of Jews. He actually used the term Judenrein, and uh, it's pretty amazing because he makes this point. It's such a clear point once he says this. He says that until President Trump came along, Anytime there was a peace proposal, anytime there were talks about the Israelis and the Palestinians making peace, the West Bank always had to be 
ethnically cleansed of Jews. And he nailed it. He's a thousand percent right. Ethnic cleansing. You know, the UN and the Europeans, they're always supporting the Palestinians. What they really want is ethnic cleansing. Jews cannot exist on Palestinian territory. It never works the other way around. There's millions of Arabs in Israel. There's there's a huge amount of Palestinians in Israel. They're part of the Knesset, and they're disgracing the Knesset, I might add, by the way. They're, they are, they are anti-Jewish, anti-Semitic, and yet they're part of the Israeli parliament, the Knesset. Uh, according to, so this is Eugene Kantorovich, law professor, director of the Center for the Middle East at George Mason University. He says, until President Trump, he says, every peace proposal of every president who came along until Trump has been based on the idea that the Jewish presence in the West Bank is illegal and needs to be reversed. That's a quote, or I believe, or at least uh, that was his statement. And he says, ever since Israel took over the West Bank from Jordan in 1967, uh, that has always been the premise. The premise is, get the Jews out of the West Bank. You want peace? Before we even sit and have the conversation, get the Jews out of the West Bank. You, th this would never be accepted if, if the Israelis and the Jews said, hey, let's get all the Arabs out. Let's get all the Palestinians out. It, it's unheard of. But that's the double standard. So he says that the proposals always called on Israel, quote, to maintain the area from which Jordan ethnically cleansed Jews in 1948 as a perpetual Judenrein zone, end quote. That was his, that's his quote. And um, he says no Israeli government has ever proposed evacuating Palestinians from the area, but expelling Jews is the minimum demand of any Palestinian negotiation. It, that's even before. It's a prerequisite. It's a prerequisite before the talks even start. It has to be understood that the Jews and the Israelis will be out of that zone. And, and, and what he's saying is this is such a game changer, and this is part of why the Palestinians, the Europeans, the UN, the Arab states, they're so threatened by this, because Israeli annexation of those parts of the West Bank, that's going to make it official for the first time ever. It is official. The Jewish presence is there, and it is there to stay. All right, so the story about the Russian bounty will not go away, despite the fact that it is a total non-issue. It is total fake news. It's been debunked. Almost every intel official in Washington says President Trump was never briefed. They never verified this intelligence. And yet the media is hammering away. You know, it's funny. I was talking to somebody. Somebody was asking me. He said, well, like, what is the big deal about this bounty Russia story? What did Trump do wrong? I said, nothing. He said, listen, I'm not a big fan of Trump. He says, but seeing the media keep pounding away at this, at this bogus story, I'm paraphrasing him, but this is what he basically said. He says, this is convincing me of the media biased against Trump. And it's convincing me that maybe I should be more pro-Trump. So the media, these kinds of stories, they're so obsessed with it. And the Trump derangement, the fact that they feel the need to harp on stories that are literally not non-issues, this actually is persuading people who don't like Trump very much to support Trump. So think about that. that that's And this media, they're in their bubble. So it, it doesn't even occur to them, you know, whether they're actually so deranged they believe this or whether they just, they don't care because they need negative news. It doesn't matter. It's like, we need negative news about Trump. We just got to get him out. We just got to get him defeated because he's just so evil. So even if we have to fabricate news, that's okay. Because what does it matter how we do it? We have to, the ends justify the means. That's how they look at this. Meanwhile, they're making a total mockery of themselves. So Trump was not brief. So here's what the media is doing now. You read a story from the Washington Post, 
And it's it's like it's it's so ridiculous and absurd the claims they're making here. They're suggesting now that the re yeah Trump wasn't briefed. Okay, they have to concede that. The reason he was they're not conceding that by the way. We'll get to that in a second. But even if he wasn't, the reason he wasn't briefed is because he likes Putin. So somehow that's incriminating. I'm not kidding. You can't make this stuff up. I'm not exaggerating here. I'll read you the quotes here. The Washington Post is saying, well, why was it? Why didn't Intel brief Trump about this report? The answer is, by the way, because it was unverified. They get tons of intel all the time. They, what do you want them to do? Give him seven-hour briefings all day long? So uh, they, they, they're saying, no, it's because he likes Putin. They're saying there are some who believe that the intel people are afraid to tell Trump anything negative about Russia because he's such a big fan of Putin. So now the crime, assuming this would even be true, which is absurd, is that Trump is thinking positive thoughts about Putin. This is a major scandal. We need to impeach Trump. He's actually thinking positive thoughts about Putin, and the intel people know that, and that's why they're not briefing him about the Russian bounty story. I mean, have you ever heard something so absurd, ridiculous, in your life. By the way, he's been extremely tough on Russia, as we'll get to in a moment. Here's a quote from the Washington Post. Lawmakers fear Trump possibly was not given the intel about the bounty payments because his subordinates were worried that negative information about Russia might anger him. Worse, some fear Trump saw the intelligence but did not want to confront Putin or simply chose not to believe it, end quote. By the way, they don't say who those people are who say, no, Trump really did see it and all the intel people are lying. But if, but so the, this is a baseless accusation here. This is not bad. This is just a news story, supposedly, but it's totally fake news. The Washington Post is also saying... Now, once again, Russia has become a central theme in the election. That's part of why the media keeps harping on this, because it brings back Russia. It resuscitates the Russia collusion, bogus, phony narrative. So they're insinuating that Trump was colluding with Russia, and that's why he allowed this bounty thing to go on. Even well, He wasn't briefed on it. Yeah, but maybe he really was brief, brief, briefed on it. Now, another thing from the Washington Post is, they're, 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 here, let me read you this quote. Quote, Republicans have regularly defended Trump by listing the hardline measures the administration has approved against Russia in the past three and a half years. So let me just set this up for you. They're going to bring now the many, many things, the crackdowns, the, the, the punishments that Trump has given to Russia uh, to punish them for a lot of their past actions, much more than Obama. But Russia, Trump has been much tougher on Obama, on, on Russia than Trump, than, than, than Obama ever was, if I could get the sentence out here straight. And the Washington Post is then going to try to make it as though, well, yeah, but still, Trump still really likes Russia, even though... He's literally been so cruel to Russia. Cruel is not the word, but but he's he's cracked down. He's been so hard line. He has punished Russia so severely. But you'll hear the but in a minute. It's going to blow you away. So here's back to the post. Your quote: Those include the punishments include providing anti-tank weaponry to Ukrainian forces fighting Russia, which uh, which was a move the Obama administration declined to do, empowering Ukraine, as well as U.S. withdrawal from arms control treaties against Russia's wishes. The administration has also implemented an array of sanctions, end quote. So there's all from the Washington Post, all the things that Trump has done against Russia. But what's the but? Trump has often undermined such initiatives. Again, back to the Washington Post. Trump has often undermined such. Yeah, he's punished Russia like crazy, but he's undermined it. How? For example, his administration announced sanctions after the Russian military tried to kill a former Russian spy on British soil using a nerve agent. Despite those sanctions, Trump expressed doubts that Russia was behind the poisoning in a phone call in 2018 with British Prime Minister Theresa May, end quote. So the Washington Post, Trump has done all these things against Russia, the Ukraine, backing up the Ukraine fighters, sending them weapons and the sanctions and getting out of the nuclear arms deal that they had with 
all of it. Yeah, but Trump expressed doubts. He sanctioned. He did sanction Russia because they poisoned a former Russian agent on British soil, which was like almost an act of war. Remember that? He So Trump responded properly, but when he's speaking to Theresa May, he wasn't sure, he wasn't convinced that the Russians were the ones who poisoned that agent. So uh, somehow like that negates all the things, all the crackdowns, all the hard lines, that punishment that Trump has carried out against Russia. And and like, by the way, the, that's the only example they give. So all the other things that Trump did, they don't have any example of him undermining, but he undermined that one thing where they imposed the sanctions uh, in response to the poisoning of that of that spy. But think about this, that's even more, that, that's even stronger in terms of how anti-Russia Trump is. They're actually helping Trump's cause here, the Washington Post. Trump punished Russia despite having personal doubts and misgivings. He still, he, he, he still punished Russia. So he did the right thing, despite the fact he wasn't personally convinced. But the answer is he felt you need to do it, even if he wasn't sure. But the the, the evidence suggested it, and it's a very dangerous move that you know the Russians did something that was could have could have escalated to a lot bigger deal because it was an act, like an act of war, killing uh, one of their spies on. Russian on British soil, I should say. So here's what's happening here. Trump in general, it's a good quality of his. He questions things. He doesn't get convinced of things very easily. He doesn't like to jump to conclusions just because some government official says, well, the Russians did this. He doesn't necessarily believe it. He wants to see proof for himself. But like somehow the Washington Post is using this to claim, well, Trump is in cahoots with Putin because even when he punished them over that killing, poisoning of that spy, the, uh, Trump said, well, I'm still not convinced that Russia did it. Wow, Trump, he's colluding with Vladimir Putin. By the way, John Bolton refuses to say whether he briefed Trump on Russian bounties. Here's what's amazing is Susan Rice was on uh, some television show today, some Sunday morning talk show today. And Susan Rice said, well, if I was in that, she was Obama's national security advisor. She says, I believe knowing John Bolton that he must have briefed Trump on the Russian bounty. So that's now a bombshell, even though uh, it's been uh, uh, confirmed many times that Trump was not briefed on the Russian bounties. But Susan Rice, she has no evidence whatsoever. Zero basis. I think that Bolton must have briefed him. Well, based on what? Well, I, 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 it just must. He must have. He must have briefed him. Okay, so they actually asked. She told this to Margaret Brennan on CBS. Then Margaret Brennan asked John Bolton. She had him on Face the Nation. Is that true? Did you uh, brief Trump? And Bolton refused to answer. And get this. This is comical. Bolton said, well, I don't want to reveal classified information. So I'm not, I refuse to answer. You don't want to reveal classified information. You just published a book that you filled with classified information. You were sued. And the judge said, listen, it's already been disseminated. There's already thousands of copies been sent to different you know, media uh, outlets. So it's too late. The cat's out of the bag. But this is going to jeopardize national security. Going to jeopardize. A judge said that. And yet, and Bolton says that he doesn't want to reveal classified information. Are you kidding me? He loves revealing classified information, especially, and imagine, if you think that if Bolton, everything that he's revealed, you believe that if Bolton had actually briefed Trump, I mean, that would be the scandal of the century. Maybe he's waiting. That's going to be the sequel. The sequel is going to be entitled, How I Briefed Trump About Ru the, the Russian Bounties, you know, uh, uh, in Afghanistan. So, and, and Bolton expects us to believe this. To me, it's clear what's happening is Bolton knows that he did not brief President Trump. So rather than actually say something positive toward President Trump, and then he's not going to get invited. He's on this book tour getting invited to all these mainstream media because he has all this dirt on Trump, suddenly the invitations are going to dry up. So Bolton is saying, I'd rather not answer. I'd rather not jeopardize national security. There is no way in a million years if he had briefed Trump on the Russian bounties that he wouldn't be telling that to every single media outlet in the country. All right, so a city in Ohio has declared itself a sanctuary city for statues. You cannot make this stuff up. An Ohio town, they've offered to take the unwanted statues 
from other cities that have been torn down. The city manager of Newton Falls, Ohio, David Lynch, he says Newton Falls is a statuary sanctuary city. And he he put out this proclamation declaring amnesty for statues of George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, Thomas Jefferson, Ulysses S. Grant, Patrick Henry, Francis Scott Key, Teddy Roosevelt, and Christopher Columbus. And, I mean, if I had shown you this a couple of months ago or a couple of years ago, like, we'd almost be laughing. we think it's satire. It's actually sad. So, you know, but it's also, at the same time, it's almost it's almost comical. If it wasn't such a tragic situation, it would almost be, like, funny, like satire. They're literally, they have to give amnesty. Imagine I show somebody 10 years ago, go back in time. You know, they're going to be giving amnesty for the statues of Washington, Lincoln, Jefferson, Grant, Patrick Henry, Teddy Roosevelt, and Christopher Columbus. What is wrong? What is like wrong with the world? Has the world gone insane? And uh, the proclamation says, quote, the great leaders of our country, though flawed in many ways, have risen to great achievements such as founding our nation, the ending of slavery, establishment and protection of national parks, establishment of antitrust laws, and the discovery of the new world itself. Unbelievable. A Republican newspaper has equated an order to wear masks with the Nazis, Yamachimum, during the Holocaust. And this is obviously beyond disgraceful. This is horrific. I have to share this with you. Uh, a, a newspaper in Kansas, and the publisher is a chairman of the Republican Party in that county, posted a cartoon on online comparing the Democrat governor's order requiring masks in public to the roundup and murder of millions of Jews. I mean, Rahman al-Latlan, by the Nazis, Yamach Shemam. The cartoon, this is the Anderson County Review, the the cartoon depicts the governor, Democrat Laura Kelly, in Missouri, uh, in Kansas, I should say, wearing a mask, Missouri, Kansas, what's the difference? Wearing a mask with uh, some some, some Midwestern state. Wearing a mask with, just kidding, with with, with 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 a Jewish star on it, Next to a drawing, in other words, you know, you know, one of the stars that uh, that they had to Rahman al-Tan wear, the Jews had to wear during the Holocaust. Next to a drawing of people loaded onto train cars. I, I take it back. You know, it, it, it's actually a Jewish star. It's actually a Jewish star um, that the mask has on it, and a drawing of people being loaded onto train cars. This is horrible. It's horrible to even report, but I feel it's my it's my job. It's my um, responsibility. Uh, and the caption says, "Lockdown." Laura says, "Put on your mask and step into the." A cattle car. So think about it. they're literally equating. I mean, this is just unspeakable. I don't think I need to even explain how despicable this is, how heinous and repugnant and unspeakably horrific this is. But and but here's where Republicans are hurting their own cause. If I if I could just look, comparing any, you can never compare anything to the unspeakable tragedies of the Holocaust. I don't care. You can come up with the worst thing you can imagine. Never, ever compare it to the Holocaust and diminish the suffering, the unspeakable, unspeakable suffering, that the, the torture and murder that was suffered by by millions of Yidin, you know, Rahman al-Athlan, Hashem Yimkaim, Dhamma. So the, the, I don't care if it's genocide in African countries. I don't care. Nothing could ever be compared to the Holocaust. But here, this is being done to save lives. And you're comparing it to that. And this is where Republicans, in addition to being, and again, most Republicans are not doing this, but you know, but I just have to call out the ones who are. So one Jewish activist in Kansas said that it's odious and incoherent to equate an action designed to save lives with mass murder. And he said putting the Star of David on the governor's mask is actually anti-Semitic because it implies that nefarious Jews 
were behind her actions. He, he said this thing is like the trifecta of garbage, and he called on Republican leaders to condemn the cartoon and the newspaper. The other problem I have is, can I just be totally blunt, is why are Republicans battling against masks? If you want to battle against the economic lockdown, if you want to battle against the fact that businesses have been shut down, people are losing their jobs, people are losing their livelihood, I'm totally fine with that. But to conservative, for conservatives to start going against wearing masks, I just don't get it. To me, it's a legitimate argument where you say, and it's not a simple argument. It's legitimate, though, when you say, listen, locking down companies, locking down you know, all these different businesses, you're actually causing the loss of life. It's life and death because when people don't have money, when people are hungry, you know, and not to mention when people are, are stranded at home. I mean, these protests, there's no question that they were worse because they came post-lockdown. So the lockdown could lead, it could lead to drug problems. It could lead to suicides. Lo- the lockdown could lead to a lot of life and death issues. I get that. But wearing masks, wearing masks, look, a lot of states are surging. In Kansas right now, the numbers are going up. So wearing masks could save lives, but it, wearing masks doesn't hurt anybody. You can't tell me, well, wearing a mask, that's a matter of life and death. It, it, wearing a mask could cause people to get sick. I, I just don't get it. So what's that argument? That to me is not is, is just not an argument that anybody is going to win. And it's not even a legitimate argument. Now, this is not a civil liberties issue either. You're going to tell, well, how do they force you to wear masks? They can dictate, the state can dis- dictate what you wear in public. They can't dictate what you wear in the privacy of your own home. But once you go out in the public streets, so that is their jurisdiction. They dictate what people wear all the time. I mean, there are there are laws in, in various states about what people may wear or may not wear in public. If you want you, to stay home, then you could stay home. So masks are inconvenient. I get it. They're uncomfortable. They look funny, but we're talking about saving lives. All right, the Washington Redskin football team is looking to change their racist name. Uh, how about the Washington Black Lives Matters? How about the, the the Washington Antifas as their new name? Same with the uh, baseball team, the Cleveland Indians. And uh, look, I could kind of this, I could kind of sympathize with this one. Well, throughout the years, I've always defended these teams having a right to use these nicknames, the Redskins and the Indians. But I'm thinking about it. What if it were like the New York Jews? You know, or, or what if like the New York Hook Noses? Or you know, they they actually use some kind of stereotype? Or just even the even the New York Jews, the New York moneylenders, or I don't know. You name it. And I, I think that would really bother us. I know that would really bother us, and it would be extremely anti-Semitic. Well, I, I think that Indians and Redskins, I think they're looking at it the same way, and it's a little bit satirical of that culture. I, ne- I never looked at it that way. To me, it's like, all right, well, listen, Indians are Indians. Redskins is a little bit worse because, you know, you're literally just, you know, describing their their skin color and, uh, it, you know, it clearly is somewhat racist, I think. And, and like I said, I've never really pictured it this way before, but suddenly I've had a change of heart when I think about what if they did it to the Jews. So I don't really have a major problem with this. Meanwhile, real estate agents in Houston and the UK want to stop using the term master bedroom, master bedroom. You know, the largest bedroom in the house is the master bedroom. Somehow that has racist connotations, I believe, because they think that it originated from slaves and masters and like the the, the large, you know, the main bedroom in the house would be the room of the master, of the, of, the, of the slave's master, you know, and then the slaves, of course, had who knows what, you know, obviously much smaller quarters, but uh, that was what the biggest quarters was used for the master. That's where the term master bedroom comes from. I don't know the etymology here. I don't know the word origins, but that's what they're saying, so they want to stop using. That to me sounds absolutely absurd. That's going to do it for today, and we will see you next time.